Great, thanks, Tim. Lovely to be with you all this evening. It is so hot. I'm so sorry. If you need to go and get a drink or you want to go and stand outside and just enjoy the breeze, please do. I might join you halfway through, have a little break or something. Um, so, yeah, it's so nice to be with you. Thanks very much for having me up here. I did the all-age talk this morning. That was absolutely terrifying. Um, but, uh, but nice to be sort of more on home turf with, um, with uh, grown-ups. So, <laughs> really good to be here. Um, so, as Tim said, we're going to be talking about hope this evening. I've got two passages to read, and then we're going to spend some time thinking about what it actually means to have hope as Christians. And this kind of all ties in with the promises that Jesus has made, including the ones about when he comes back, which we don't maybe think about that often. So we're going to dig into that a little bit as well. So two short passages today. Warning, the second one I've been reading during the service, and it keeps making me cry, so I'm going to really try not to cry because no one wants that like wobble voice reading, you know? Maybe I should have got a reader. That would have been better. Um, so yeah, the first one is Proverbs 13, verse 12. Very short verse, Proverbs 13, verse 12. Um, sorry, I don't have the same Bible as you, so page number is going to be more confusing than helpful, I think, uh, from me. Um, very, very quick. I'll have read it by the time you find it, I'm sure. But it says this. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And then the other verse we're looking at is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verses 20 to 22. So quite near the back of your Bibles. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20 to 22. And that says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. I'm just going to pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's true. Thank you that there are things that you want to say to us this evening. And thank you that whenever you speak, it's for our good, for our freedom, for our flourishing, for our joy, for our hope. And so we, we turn our ears towards you now, Lord. Would you attune us with your spirit, we pray. Amen. So hope is a powerful word. For some of us here today, it might be a painful word. It's a word that I believe is one of the most kind of profound byproducts of faith in Jesus. It kind of grows out of our faith in Jesus. But what do we actually mean when we say hope? Because it's more than optimism. It's more than being positive. I think to understand it, we need to set ourselves in context some of you who remember Lydia Corbett will remember this illustration. The Bible is a great narrative. It's got a beginning, a middle, and an end. And where we are in that story really matters in terms of how we understand ourselves and how we understand Jesus. So before we turn back to the passages, I just want to place us in God's story because we're part of that story, beginning, a middle, and end. And I think we're kind of generally aware of that, but it's just maybe sometimes helpful to bring it into sharper focus. 
So, uh, to explain the story, I've obviously brought along my pot plants, which I have to say are looking resplendent. <laughs> I was a bit nervous because there are a few brown bits on them, but I trimmed them off quickly before the service. I said, come on, guys, look alive. I mean, they may start to wilt, um, so we'll see. But, um, but yes, pot plants. Um, so, uh, I've got some slides. Next slide would be great. I mean, it doesn't have a lot of information on it, actually, so you probably don't need to change it. Three trees. <laughs> That's it. Oh dear, we did not need the slide, but thank you for the slide. Um, so I would like you to imagine, if you will, that these little pot plants are trees, because I couldn't bring trees in. That would be uh, just, what's the word? Impractical. Um, but the narrative of God's great story centers around three trees. Okay, so I've got some signs. These pot plants were actually children in the morning service, so um, this is a bit calmer. Oh no. Oh dear. Hang on a sec. Can I? Yeah, do you mind? Thanks, Tim. <laughs> Um, if you could do one, two, and three, that would be brilliant. Thank you. Oh, hands up for the assistant. Well done. Thank you very much. Okay, so tree one takes us right back. You can always put it over the leaves a little bit if you need to. That's fine. Um, takes us right back to the beginning. So Genesis chapters one to three and the story of creation. So God creates this perfect world filled with goodness and flourishing and diversity. And he makes people, Adam and Eve, who walk in close relationship with God and work in partnership with him, and that's what they were made for. And everything is just as it should be. But as we know, Adam and Eve choose to uh, reject God's good plan for them, and they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So there's that tree. And as a result of this disobedience and rebellion, sin enters the world, and the disjoint begins. Genesis 3, uh, 7. And from that point, people continue to try and live without God. And creation gets broken and more broken and more broken. So that's tree one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right at the beginning of the story, right at the beginning of the Bible, first chapters of Genesis. Fast forward a few thousand years, and a tiny baby is born into poverty to a young couple in Bethlehem. But this baby is different. This baby is Jesus, the Son of God, who came to fix what got broken at tree one. His life was full of signs that the kingdom of God was on its way. Healings and miracles showed that he, Jesus, was God's plan to redeem the world. And so this tree is the tree of the cross at Jesus' crucifixion, where he died as a sacrifice for our sin and was raised again, not only to make a way for us to know God, to make a way for our sins to be forgiven, but also to begin the radical resurrecting work of the whole world. We're going to come back to that in a minute. So tree two, the cross of Jesus. And then finally, we have the third tree, the tree of life, spoken about in Revelation 22, but also in the first uh, proverb that we listened to just a moment ago. Revelation 22, John's vision of the new heaven and the new earth. This is the tree we're heading for. The tree that's the culmination of God's restoring work. And it speaks of a time when Jesus returns and all things are restored and renewed and fixed forever. Revelation 22 verse 2 says, The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, which is just up there above my head. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. This is the third tree. No longer will there be any curse. This tree marks the completion of God's restoring work that began in Jesus. So what does this have to do with hope? Well, as people here in 2022, we find ourselves literally about here, between these two trees. So we're in a time after the resurrection of Jesus, but he's not yet returned, and God's kingdom has not fully come. 
we know there are still things wrong. Everything is not perfect and fixed and as it was meant to be. And it's here today in this place that we're called to have hope, knowing that this is where we've come from and that's where we're going. This is where we hope. This is where we do the hoping. So what does that mean? Well, we need to unpack how what we believe about this tree and, what, and the future and the promises of Jesus' return impacts what we see in the present and how as Christians we live this extraordinary life with this extraordinary hope that is rooted in the past and the present and the future. And so I think the Bible tells us a few things about hope. Um, next slide, thank you so much. Firstly, that hope is totally bound up in Jesus. It's an obvious point, but I'm going to make it anyway. That our hope is for the future and that our hope is for now. So our hope is totally bound up in Jesus. Our hope is for the future and our hope is for now. I sometimes wonder if we think that having, sorry, first one, totally bound up in Jesus. Um, if we think that having hope is almost the same as having faith, like hope in Jesus is essentially faith that he can do the things he says he will. But I think the Bible tells us that hope is even more than that. It's like a more foundationally real than that. Hope is bound up in the person and work of Jesus and bound up in this thing he spoke about a lot called the kingdom of God. We see that all through his ministry, Jesus told people the kingdom of God has come near. That's Mark 1.15. The kingdom of God is in your midst, Luke 17.21. Jesus' healings and his teachings, they all pointed towards this sure, certain time when things will be restored. He wasn't just going around being a nice guy because that's what Christians are and he was the first Christian, so you should probably be nice to people. This meant something. This was pointing to something. The kingdom. So when we're talking about hope, it's really important that we hold on to this reality, that there is a kingdom that is coming. It's not yet here. A kingdom over which Jesus is king and a kingdom which Jesus' life on earth was a foretaste, became a foretaste of, and his resurrection was like a herald of this kingdom. It's all linked. So our hope is totally bound up in Jesus, not because Jesus was a nice guy doing nice things. He reigns over a kingdom that is coming, and the hallmarks of those kingdom are justice and love and peace. And the ultimate demonstration of the promise of that kingdom, of course, was Jesus' death and resurrection. The moment Jesus walked out of the tomb, death was defeated, and the new order of things was beginning. Paul says in, in 1 Peter, the, uh, yeah, sorry, um, the precious blood of Christ redeemed the old way of life. So let's read that again. The precious blood of Christ redeemed the old way of life. The resurrection is fundamental to our hope as Christians because it marks the moment that God's kingdom rule began on earth. As the passage says, all of God's promises are yes in Christ. Jesus is the giant yes and amen to what until he came was found in prophecies and scripture and whispers. Then Jesus comes and says yes and amen to every promise that God has made. He definitively says the kingdom of God is on its way. Come on. So our hope is totally bound up in Jesus because his life and his death and his resurrection showed us that the promised kingdom is here in part and it's on its way in full. Tom Wright um, has written a brilliant book called Surprised by Hope, um, which is so helpful in explaining uh, these, these ideas. Um, and he says that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is the story of God's kingdom being launched on earth as in heaven generating a new state of affairs in which the power of evil has been decisively defeated 
and the new creation has been decisively launched. That's what is going on here and here and also here. So our living hope is through the resurrection of Jesus and his resurrection is the sign of things to come. That's why our hope is completely bound up in Jesus. If Jesus is not resurrected, we are a hopeless people, but he is. So we are not a hopeless people, we are a people of hope. So, totally bound up in Jesus. Next, our hope is for the future. So Corinthians continues this beautiful, beautiful words. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So as people of God, the kingdom of God is our future hope. This is what we're heading for, that one day everything will be better. And sometimes, I think there are people here who need to hear that. Things are going to get better. Everything will be fully renewed and restored, and it will be exactly how and what God created it to be. What beautiful, beautiful promise. Everything will be as it should be. Our future hope is that God's kingdom will fully come on earth as it is in heaven, just as Jesus taught us to pray. And all the things that are broken will be fixed. And the full glory of God and the created potential of the world will be released in glorious, colorful, chaotic, and yet ordered, redemptive beauty. And I think this promise, this part of the hope that we are called to as Christians is a bit like, I don't know if anyone else gets seasick, I get hideously seasick, it's awful. And when you're on a ferry and you just want to get off in your car because you're really far away from the shore, um, anyone know the advice you're given when you're feeling seasick? Look at the horizon. Max Perkin, well done. Look at the horizon. And I sometimes think of this promise of the kingdom a bit like that. It's if you're feeling really sick, things are not going well, fix your eyes on the horizon. Fix your eyes on that promised kingdom to come and just keep fixing your eyes, and it can help us to feel better. As John writes in Revelation 21, this is a message version. This is the promise uh, that God has given us about what this is going to be like. I heard a voice thunder from the throne, look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood, making his home with men and women. They're his people. He's their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. Death is gone for good, tears gone, crying gone, pain gone, all the first order of things gone. The enthroned continued, look, I am making everything new. Turned into a really dramatic pause, which I didn't mean it. Okay, so some of you might be thinking, and I know I would be if I was sat there listening to me, that's great, all sounds good for the future, So what do I do? Just hold on, grip my teeth, grin and bear whatever is going on until Jesus comes back and makes everything better? Well, no. Um, I'm happy to tell you that is not what I'm saying. Um, Because our hope for the future that we know is coming is absolutely not separate to the hope that we have now. Our hope for the future that we know is coming is not separate to the hope that we have now, today, tomorrow. In fact, our hope now relies on the hope of what is to come. So let's unpack, unpack why. So finally, for now, our hope is for now. 
sorry, finally, of this section, there's another whole section, I'm really sorry. Um, so this hope we have in the return of King Jesus and the renewing of all things brings us hope now, first and foremost, because the, the work of the kingdom of God, that promised reality that is to come, has already started, like we see with Jesus, and we see in the life of Jesus and his resurrection, it's already cracking on. That's what happened when Jesus died and rose again. He was announcing that new world order. He was the first example of what resurrected life is going to look like. 1 Corinthians describes Jesus as the first fruits, the beginning of the inevitable harvest. And we see that in the entire life and ministry of Jesus, as he heals people who've suffered for decades, perform miracles that nobody has ever seen before, and ultimately in his death and resurrection. Guys, I'm going to carry on because we know Ellie, so I'm just going to keep on going because that's what she would want me to be doing right now. So I'm just going to carry on. But Lord, we pray peace over Ellie now. We see that in the entire life and ministry of Jesus, as he heals people who've suffered for decades and performs miracles, Ultimately, in his death and resurrection, he shows the world what the kingdom of God looks like, and he demonstrated that God's reign is underway. And this changes everything, because it means that what we do now in the name of Jesus, as we imitate him in our choices and behavior and try and become more like him, it matters in the kingdom of God. We're not simply biding time before Jesus comes back. We are his people demonstrating the epic and extraordinary reality of God's kingdom that is near now. Now, I think I've got a quote on a slide, actually. Uh, next uh, slide, please, guys. Thanks so much. Oh, fabulous. So Tom Wright puts it a lot better than me. He says this, What you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself, all these things will last into God's future. They're not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable until the day when we leave it behind altogether. They are part of what we may call building for God's kingdom. So the hope we have as Christians is that what we do today now is not valueless or random. It has great purpose. So when we open our homes to people who need a meal or a bed or a chat, we're demonstrating to them the sure and certain reality that one day there will be no more need. When we help to alleviate someone's pain, whether it's physical or emotional, we're reflecting that promised hope that one day there'll be no pain at all. When we invite people to church, we're letting them know that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. What we do in the name of Jesus is not wasted. And that gives us great hope. As people of hope, we're called to bring the world into kind of better correspondence with how it's going to be when it's all made new and perfect. I think there's a, um, I think it's Mike Pilavachi who said, if it's not good enough for the kingdom of God, it's not good enough for now, which I kind of love. And as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, your labor for the Lord is not in vain. And so it all connects us, Jesus, the coming kingdom, our part in ushering it in now. So our, our hope, our, our characteristics as people of hope is totally bound up in Jesus. It's for the future and it's for now. But I just want to take some time to talk about what happens when we feel that our hope is deferred, like Proverbs talks about, when our hopes feel dashed, when we really hoped for something and it didn't happen, when we're disappointed or we're still waiting, 
or just life's really hard and painful, or things didn't turn out how we thought they would. I'm sure, I'm pretty sure every person in this room has just resonated with one of those sentences. I know I stand here with disappointments and dashed hopes in my story. And Proverbs 13 is right when it says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. What do we do then? What's all this got to say about that? Well, I wonder if it maybe has three things to say. It's probably got loads, well, we'll have loads more to say, but I'm going to pick three. I think it has three things to say. I think it says, hold on to God's promises. I think it says, hold on to the Holy Spirit and hold on to your authority. So what do we do when we're disappointed? What do we do when our hope is deferred? Hold on to God's promises, hold on to the Holy Spirit, and hold on to your authority. Okay, we're just going to go through these in turn. Hold on to God's promises. So the proverb tells us, hope deferred makes the heart faint, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Tree of life. It's not an accident that that's the term. Tree of life. The Bible tells us that all our longings will be fulfilled. That is the promise. This is coming. I just think that's remarkable kind of language connection there. Tree of life. At times in my life when a deep longing for something has not been fulfilled, sometimes the reality of that ultimate fulfillment of God's promises keeps me just putting one foot in front of the other. And I'm just, I'm just going to say this stuff really gently, and I, um, I'm not going to share specifically um, right now about, about my own journeys of, of crushed hopes and disappointments, um, but please hear me when I say it's coming from a place of experience. I think the first point dealing with the pain of disappointment is making sure that you distinguish between the promises God has made to you and the good things that you really want in your life, which are good to want. At times in my life when I have been deeply, deeply disappointed, heartbroken, confused as to why the good thing I really want, that really wouldn't hurt anyone, just isn't coming to pass. I've had to sit down and ask myself, am I holding on to God's promises or am I holding on to this thing that I really want? In other words, am I hoping for something or am I hoping in it? Have I put my hope in it happening? Am I hoping for it or am I hoping in it? Because the Bible says in that passage, it says no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. So we know that God is going to keep his promises. That's not up for grabs. That's not up for questioning. But what might not happen is we might not, our, our lives might not turn out exactly how we would really, really want them to. And I'm not saying that in a glib way at all. I know that that comes with huge amounts of pain. But God's promises are that he loves you and that he will never leave you and that he's a good father. Those are the promises that he's made to us along with countless others. And so that kind of like, okay, well, how do I, how do I distinguish between if I'm hoping for something or hoping, or actually it's kind of almost like transitioned into hoping in, which is where I think things get even more painful and hard and almost need to come back into alignment. I used to, I, I sort of... Um, would think, okay, can I imagine my life being remotely bearable without this thing? 
And if I couldn't, then I needed to bring it to Jesus and say, I think I'm hoping in this rather than hoping for it. Can I imagine my life being um, fulfilled, full of purpose, happy, um, nice, good, without the thing that I just so desperately want? And I think if I can't fathom a future without that thing that I want, I think I need to continually <laughs> come back to Jesus. And, I, and again, I, I say that with all um, love and, um, yeah, just, I guess, sense of having been there. Not sure if that made sense, but hopefully uh, there was something in there that was useful. So hold on to the promises God has given us. Number two, hold on to the Holy Spirit. This verse in 2 Corinthians is astonishing. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. That is absolutely bonkers. When we're facing painful disappointments, the Holy Spirit is the game changer. The Holy Spirit is the game changer. The Holy Spirit is the one who living in us is the bridge between now and then. A deposit, a deposit from this given to us now, guaranteeing what is to come, giving us hope. The Spirit is the one who bears fruit in us. He's alive. He's growing the fruit of joy Peace in the midst of a storm. Joy and disappointment, the fruit of strength when we're weak and we honestly feel like we cannot carry on. The Spirit is not a dormant deposit, just cold coins in a bank account. There you go. It's the Spirit of God alive in us, giving the gifts of his presence to enable us to face the inevitable struggles that come. It's a deposit from this now growing, growing hope in us. The Spirit is the connection between the now and the not yet, the agent of hope in our lives. So that even when we are disappointed, when our hearts hurt, and we really, really wish things were different, the Spirit holds us and hears us and heartens us. That is the promise. That is the gift that we receive through Jesus. I've had moments in my life where I felt at the absolute end of my hope, absolutely nothing left. And somehow, the tiniest flicker, the tiniest flicker of hope, of joy even, which is a deeply confusing thing to feel when you're in, in pain, will spark in my heart. And that's the Holy Spirit. That's not me going... Hope, please. I, like, I've been way past that. Not even going to ask for it. No, thank you. I can't do that. And yet here, hope. And that is the promise of the Holy Spirit. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit. In many of those situations, nothing materially changed. Didn't suddenly have a huge answer prayer or a, a, one of the things that I desperately wanted in my life. But I get the strength I need to go again. And that is what the Bible says will always be ours. It's a gift. It's a gift of God to us. Hold on to the Holy Spirit. God has promised that he will give you what you need. Okay, so hold on to God's promises. Hold on to the Holy Spirit. And finally, hold on to your authority. I think this might be something else that Jesus might say in the whole context of, of us battling with sick hearts and disappointment. I think he might say hold on to your authority because... Being people of hope doesn't mean that we should ignore the painful parts of our life or pretend they're not happening. 
That is just denial and delusion, and it gets us nowhere. In fact, this hope that God gives us for the future and for now, it leaves room for the reality of pain. This hope we have actually acknowledges pain. This hope allows space for us to feel the gap between how things are and how they're meant to be. God, through his action in Jesus, he's acknowledging that things are broken. You know, that's, that's what this is all about. Things are broken and they must be fixed. So when we hope in Christ, we have the authority to look at a situation that does not reflect the goodness of the kingdom of God. And we say with all authority, this is not how it's meant to be. That is the authority we have been given in Jesus. This is not how it's meant to be. When I first got married, some of you will know this, I wasn't well. I was doing battle with a serious anxiety disorder and associated crippling OCD. And it became so bad that I couldn't leave the house except to see my counselor. And I was on medication, which helped, but I was absolutely broken and lost and disappointed that this time that was supposed to be so joyous and I'd waited for and had all these sort of how's married life, how's marital bliss questions. It was just absolutely horrendous. And within this time, there was something profound about our ability to cry out to God, this is not how it's meant to be, and to know that he wholeheartedly agreed. So when we see brokenness or we experience grief, when we face bitter disappointment or our hearts are breaking, we're able to say this isn't how it's meant to be, and we know that God wholeheartedly agrees. It's why he gave us Jesus 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. It doesn't say we do not grieve. Someone I know attended the funeral of a very young person who had died very suddenly and very tragically. And I was speaking to them afterwards and they told me that the vicar had said that they shouldn't be sad because this person had lived a good life and they'd gone to a better place. Absolutely not. Heaven forbid that's all we're able to say to people who grieve. No. Creation groans. Jesus wept. Hope in Christ reminds us that things are not how they're meant to be. And we are called to be people who acknowledge that pain and destruction in our own lives and in the lives of those around us and say, no, we fix our eyes on this and say, that is how it's meant to be. So hold on to your authority to say, God, this is so hard. He hears you, and he agrees with you. He's not just sat there working out how you're going to deal with this one. That's just, the, the whole gospel doesn't bear that out. The whole narrative of the Bible says he's with us in the brokenness, and he will not leave us. So if you're battling pain or loss or grief, know that the Lord of all hope is with you in your pain telling you that one day all that is broken will be made new and reassuring you that that process has already started. It began with Jesus and that his Holy Spirit is with you and he will give you what you need. So we stand between the two trees of Christ's death and resurrection and his return when all things are made new. We stand rooted in hope. We stand filled with the Holy Spirit we stand in the authority of Jesus to say the way things are is not the way they will stay. And we stand holding on to the promise of God that he is making all things new. 
Romans 5, 5 says, hope does not disappoint because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the, by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Christian hope is not some vague optimism that things are going to get better. Our hope is sure and certain because Jesus did everything that needed to be done and it cannot be undone. Our hope is alive through the resurrection and his resurrection is a sign of things to come. Amen.